0: Uh, We are continuing our series and we come this morning to Ezekiel chapter 16. As we have seen in previous weeks, chapter after chapter, the message of God's judgment coming upon Jerusalem has been faithfully declared by the prophet Ezekiel around the year 592 B.C., a few years leading up to the destruction and exile of God's people in 586 B.C. And as we continue to see that message, You recall last week in chapter 15, there was something of a shift where uh, we saw Ezekiel beginning to employ images and allegories to reinforce the message. We saw the people of Judah being likened to a useless vine that is good for nothing but to be thrown into the fire for their acting faithlessly. And our chapter this morning will continue that same message and theme through another imagery and allegory. Which Ezekiel employs. And it concerns a marriage relationship, a covenant relationship between God and His people. God's people are being pictured here as a woman. A woman who became a faithless bride, an adulterous wife. In fact, a serial prostitute who pursues and pays for a multitude of other lovers while being married spiritually. So that is going to be our passage. Ezekiel chapter 16 and as you can see this is quite a massive chapter uh, it is uh, 63 verses long uh, this is the longest chapter in Ezekiel and it is the longest allegory that you're going to you're going to find in the entire bible uh, this single chapter itself is longer than six of the 12 minor prophet books we have in the old testament so quite a long chapter our scripture reading this morning it's going to take about 10 minutes so, children, it's going to be very long reading for you. Uh, it may be hard to follow along and to understand. So, But so that I don't lose you, uh, just remember that God's word this morning is making a gospel point. That when people don't believe the word, when people live in sin and don't repent, and when they serve idols, God's word is saying to us that it's like being a woman who is immoral and unfaithful to her husband. But Jesus says he came to make a pure woman out of an adulterous and sinful woman. Just like the words you heard earlier from the song, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. The gospel declares God's grace and love to sinners in that Jesus takes to himself a bad woman and makes her his own wife. So when Jesus saves sinners, he saves a bride for himself and the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. So just remember that in all the lengthy reading and in the complicated words and things that you don't understand, it is declaring to you the basic gospel message. Well, before we begin our reading, just a couple of interesting notes for all of you on Ezekiel chapter 16 as a reminder. And the first comes from charles spurgeon the famous baptist preacher because of the graphic language we're going to read in this chapter describing the imagery of israel's prostitution spurgeon ministering in 19th century victorian england felt that and quote a minister could scarcely read it in public well we of course correct our baptist brother's sentiment by remembering that all scripture is profitable and the church is to give herself to public reading of scripture. So that's one note that I want you to take with you before we begin our reading. The second one comes from Thomas Goodwin, the 17th century Puritan. Goodwin uh, was part of the Westminster Assembly in the 17th century that produced the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Catechisms, are doctrinal standards. And it's an interesting... A bit of information in church history in God's providence that of all places in the Bible God used one particular verse from this very chapter, Ezekiel chapter 16 to convert Thomas Goodwin at age 20. It's a reminder that our God does marvelous things through his words. So with those reminders and a rather lengthy introduction that perhaps matches the length of the passage itself Uh, Let's seek God's help and blessing as we come to his word this morning. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you as your needy children, uh, confident in your power and grace uh, through the ministry of the word to strengthen us, that indeed through the preaching you would strengthen us with power through the spirit in the inner man, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be set apart as holy and honored and exalted in our hearts. We pray that you would establish every one of the saints in this room and build us up in our faith. We pray that you would fill us with the joy of your presence and cause your word to abide in us richly and so purify our souls and continually mold us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus, your beloved Son. And we pray that you do so to an ever-increasing degree of glory in each of us. Give us faith, we pray, ears to hear. And we ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's hear God's word. We'll begin in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 1, and we'll read through the entire chapter. This is... The word of God for us this morning. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you are cast out on the open field, for you are upheard on the day that you are born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, Live. I said to you in your blood, Live. I made you flourish like a plant, plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you are at the age for love. And I spread a corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water, and washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with also with embroidered cloth, and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen, and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments, and put bracelets on your wrists, and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you are adorned with gold and silver, And your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and played a whore because of your renown, and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played a whore. The like has never been, nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men, and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them, and set my oil and my incense before them. And also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey, you set before them for a pleasing aroma, and so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had born to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in your all your abominations and all your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you are naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. And after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God. You built yourself a vaulted chamber. And made yourself a lofty place in every square. At the head of every street, you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerby and multiplying your whoring. You also played a whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors multiplying your whoring to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed your enemies, the daughters of the Philistines, who are ashamed of your lewd behavior. You played a whore also with the Assyrians, because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played a whore with them, and still, you were not satisfied. You multiplied your whoring also with the trading land of Chaldea, and even with this, you were not satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God. Because you did all these things, but these of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square, yet you are not like a prostitute because you scorn payment, adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men gave, give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you are different from other women in your whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore, and you gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you are different. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers. And with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them against you from every side and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as a woman who commits adultery and shed blood are judged. And bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. And I will give you into their hands. And they shall throw down your vaulted chamber and break down your lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare. They shall bring up a crowd against you and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. And they shall burn your houses and execute judgments upon you in the sight of many women." I will make you stop playing the whore, and you shall also give payment no more. So will I satisfy my wrath on you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm and will no longer be angry. Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me with all these things. Therefore, behold, I have returned your deeds upon your head, declares the Lord God. Have you not committed lewdness in addition to all your abominations? Behold, everyone who uses Proverbs will use this proverb about you. Like mother, like daughter, you are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and her children, and you are the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite, and your father was an Amorite, and your elder sister is Samaria who lived with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their commandments within a very little time, you are more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and your her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom, She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Samaria has not committed half your sins. You have committed more abominations than they, and have made your sisters appear righteous by all the abominations that you have committed. Bear your disgrace, you also, for you have intervened on behalf of your sisters, because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than they, they are more in the right than you. So be ashamed, you also, and bear your disgrace, for you have made your sisters appear righteous. I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will restore your own fortunes in their midst, that you may bear disgrace and be ashamed of all that you have done becoming a consolation to them. As for your sisters, Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state, and you and your daughters shall return to your former state. Was not your sister Sodom a byword in your mouth in the day of your pride before your wickedness was uncovered? Now you have become an object of reproach for the daughters of Syria and all those around her, and for the daughters of Philistines those all around who despise you, you bear the penalty of your lewdness and your abominations, declares the Lord God. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you, for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. Thus far, this reading in God's holy word. The Bible, as it sets forth the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation in him, presents two women side by side. You see that most clearly in the last six chapters of the Bible, the last six chapters of Revelation, which show the destinies of these two women that the bible presents two women also represented by two cities babylon and jerusalem when the angel first says to the apostle john come i will show you the judgment of the great prostitute babylon the great we see that all the godless worldly unbelieving mass of humanity who will undergo everlasting judgment for all the sins and idolatries and abominations committed in the body represented by that woman, the figure, the prostitute. Then in Revelation chapter 21, we see the angel going on to unveil another woman when he says to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 21, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, coming from God, radiant with the glory of God. We in fact see the church, by contrast, being presented as the Holy Bride. All the redeemed church of God glorified, the elect people of God gathered from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation, brought into an everlasting kingdom, saved from the wrath to come, and saved to sin no more, enjoying eternal life in the presence of God and beholding Jesus. All the people of God are pictured as the bride of the Lamb. And in, in fact, the Bible goes on to declare For us to hear, blessed are those invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, That's the ultimate destiny awaiting all humanity in a nutshell. Destinies of the two women. Spiritually, everyone is one of these two women. There is no in-between. Spiritually, you are either a bride or a prostitute, either a believer united to Jesus Christ, or one outside of Christ, still in sin, not forgiven, and not cleansed. Well, here we have an allegory given, ultimately projecting us to that destiny for humanity, allegory of a faithless bride turned prostitute. In order to illustrate the spiritual history of Israel, in order to point to the fact that the coming destruction and exile upon God's people, are but an outpouring of the righteous anger of God as that of an injured and incensed husband towards a wife in her adultery and infidelity and holotry. In order to point to the justice of God's righteous punishment of his people as his bride, we have this allegory declared by the prophet Ezekiel. In fact, the allegory begins with a divine charge given to Ezekiel, verse 2. The Lord says, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. God desires to declare to his people their sins. God wants Ezekiel to make known to Jerusalem all that they have done wrong in his own sight. But This is one of the works of the Spirit as Jesus says, convicting the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. The Lord does this, exposing sins among his people because he's a gracious God. Whenever he does that, believers, in your own life through the word, it is so that you may be brought to repentance and faith and new obedience and newfound joy of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This allegory, charged through the history and progression of his faithful faithless people, Israel, not just to work out God's purposes of judgment, not just point to the coming judgment in the destruction of Jerusalem in the 6th B.C., 6th century B.C., but ultimately to reveal God's purposes of salvation to be found in Jesus Christ, to be declared for all ages. Ezekiel is declaring the abominations of god's people ultimately to point god's people to their source of salvation to be unveiled in the coming of the lord jesus christ well there are four stages that i want you to see this morning as the chapter unfolds we're going to see four things as we work our way through the text we're going to see first what god's goodness and loving kindness is like and then secondly we're going to see what sin is really like and thirdly We're going to see something of the nature of God's wrath and judgment. And then finally, what God's grace is like in the covenant. So each of these things I want you to ponder and think through what exactly the nature of each of these things uh, would be as you ponder your own experience as Christian believers. First then in verses 1 through 14, we see how lavish, God's goodness and kindness is toward his people. The Lord is lavish. That's the word I want you to think. He is unlimitedly generous, good and kind, full of pity and compassion. And his lavishness is shown in the way in which God brought up Israel from birth to maturity. You see this allegory pointing to their development as a nation. Although Israel... God, the people of God were Gentile and pagan in origin. Their father was an Amorite and mother a Hittite. Although they were helpless and abandoned like a helpless infant, wallowing in their own birth blood, the Lord took them in. The Lord washed them and cleansed them and clothed them and the Lord took care of them and the Lord made them live. This is a language of adoption. The Lord. Who saves us is just like that. He looks after us. He gives us life and salvation and sustenance. He shows pity and compassion precisely in our misery and helplessness. He comes to us and showers upon us blessings. When we were formerly and naturally pagans and aliens, yet he, in his mercy, comes to adopt us into his household And he so lavishly and generously takes care of us. That's the picture we are given at the beginning of this allegory. And then verse 8 on, this kindness is expressed in a different image of covenant marriage. As Israel grew, reaching the age for love, developing into a beautiful young woman, the Lord spread his garment over her, verse 8. Just like Boaz in the book of Ruth spread his garment over Ruth on the threshing floor, thereby extending his protection and obligation over her. The Lord covers the nakedness of his people, entered into a covenant and made his marriage vow to her. Again, verse 8. And so as a result, uh, Israel became his. The Lord entered into a marriage relationship. And then in the context of that relationship, again, see how the Lord lavishly treated her the Lord beautified her, he washed her, he anointed her, he clothed her with fine linen and silk and leather. He adorned her with precious jewelry, ornaments, bracelets, earrings, a crown of gold, and he gave her finest food to eat, fine flour, honey, oil. The Lord bestowed upon her honor and splendor, advancing her to royalty so that she became exceedingly beautiful among the nation. This chosen nation, Israel, becoming the recipient of God's lavish blessings, became advanced from among all the nations. And this is a picture, brothers and sisters, of what God does to his people whom he blesses, whom he calls to himself, whom he calls to be his bride. He's so lavish, so great is his bounty. So unrestrained is his goodness and kindness and generosity, even when we were helpless, undeserving of it, spiritually and materially. The Lord, if I can say this uh, in a regular manner, the Lord pampers his people in his goodness. He takes undeserving people, and he takes them to himself to be his own, and he clothes them, He clothes them with a fine linen of the gospel. He feeds us with the finest wheat and honey of his word. He adorns us with a, as it were, graceful garland of his wisdom and precious jewelry of his instruction as a book of Proverbs pictures that blessing for us. That was the beginning, the spiritual beginning of Israel. The people who were once pagan and Gentile in nature In origin, when God's goodness and loving kindness came to them, the Lord revealed to them his lavishness. Oh, how true is that for you, believers? Indeed, when God's goodness and loving kindness came to you, he brought you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He dealt with you bountifully in his lavishness and kindness and goodness. He's a God who even sends rain both on the righteous and on the unrighteous. There's a sense in which the Lord is kind and merciful and good even to his enemies. So that was the beginning, the lavishness which the people began to taste. But then secondly, verses 15 through 34, look secondly something of the nature of Israel's sin. And consider how absurd and insane and self-destructive a thing, a sin, uh, really is. The insanity and absurdity and self-destructiveness self-destruct- of sin against such lavishness of God, we see in those verses how Israel multiplied their sin against the Lord. And God calls it um, their engaging in prostitution. The manner in which they prostituted themselves is by throwing away all that God has given to them. Exchanging all that God has blessed her with, uh, this woman is casting all those things at the feet of the nations she entered into prostitution with. And what a picture of sin is. Sin is essentially spending away, squandering away what God has bestowed upon you purposes other than glorifying him. Everything this woman has been given, everything Israel has been endowed with, embroidered garments, fine jewels of gold and silver, and fine food. You read in verses 15 through 21, she's giving them all away in her whoring on passerbys. This is a picture of the spiritual history of Israel. Not turning to the Lord, but turning to the pagan nations for salvation and such was the insanity of sin that even her children that belong to the Lord she is sacrificing on the altar of this world as many in our own generation and in our world do both spiritually and literally sacrificing children on the altar of this world sin and spiritual adultery therefore essentially involve an insane exchange exchanging contentment with what God has given and blessed you with for covetousness, coveting things that others have, coveting and lusting after desires that are illegal, and coveting, which is, uh, the Bible calls, idolatry in your heart. Sin is replacing gratefulness or setting your hope on God with worldliness, setting affections on the things, a sin manifests itself in the history of Israel. In pursuing nations rather than serving and turning to the Lord, they were turning and turning to and pursuing nations as the source of their security and their satisfaction. You see that uh, beginning in verse twenty-six, the list of nations: Egyptians and Assyrians and. Uh, Philistines and Babylonians one after another, the Israelites began to turn to them. And the Lord said, you whored after them and prostituted yourself with them. So that's the picture in this allegory of the spiritual biography of Israel that God gives of what Israel has done in their sinfulness and abomination. They threw away all the blessings God has lavishly bestowed upon them and they went after other things, other nations, other people that are not God. Now this section therefore uh, sets before us uh, what is already uh, always true of, of sin. Just want you to notice three things quickly. How sin comes about in the lives of God's people. Uh, sin comes first and foremost when people become forgetful of God's lavishness and goodness and kindness and blessing them. From the Garden of Eden down to our own experience, it's when we become forgetful and ungrateful in our heart, it becomes a fertile ground for spiritual adultery. Then secondly, we see how sins and idols, which is setting things and people more value of over, over than Christ Himself as the goal and aim of your life. Sins and idols always make you spend and squander. The Lord says to them, this is how absurd this is. It defies even the customary practice of prostitution. In the history of prostitution, nothing like this has ever happened. Rather than being paid for playing the whore, the Lord says, you give payment to others in order to prostitute yourself. When you sin, it is like offering your body and soul to objects of your pursuit, you give payment in order to engage in spiritual adultery. All the other cases, you receive the payment, but not in spiritual adultery. You are the one who's paying, who's squandering. And so thirdly, related to that, uh, the Lord is revealing to us in this uh, allegory The true horror of sin for human beings made in the image of God. Rather than giving you satisfaction, this kind of spiritual adultery and sin will make the person always more unsettled and unsatisfied and unfulfilled. Look at verse 28, for example. The Lord says, you play the whore with them and still you are not satisfied. Verse 29, you multiplied your whoring and you still with this who are not satisfied. The fleeting pleasures of sin cannot ever give you contentment. Sin makes people more miserable. Idolatry makes you even more unsatisfied. Because the truth is, God who has set eternity in our heart, is to be the sole object of our worship and our love. Because our hearts are always restless until they find their rest in God alone. And so the Lord begins to address his people, verse 32, you adulterous wife, you who receive strangers instead of her husband, verse 35, oh prostitute. Here is a case of the Lord coming to his visible church, his people, and instead of addressing them as his bride, the Lord says, oh, you prostitute you adulterous wife, you who are engaged in adultery. Remember how the Apostle James picks up the same expression in James chapter 4, addressing the church and says, oh, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred, hatred with God. The same sort of thing people of God can engage in when we are double-minded, when we seek to serve God with one hand and when we have another, the other foot in the world when we seek simultaneously to serve God and mammon when our affections are divided do you not know that how he yearns jealously over the spirit which he has made us to dwell in and so that's the insanity absurdity and self-destructiveness of sin likened to spiritual adultery it is always squandering away all that God has given you which in the end will leave the person miserable condemned and under wrath All that leads us to sec- thirdly then look at something of the nature of god's wrath and judgment coming upon sin you see that in verses 35 through 58 the lord begins to address his people again o prostitute o adulterous people i'm about to judge you i'm about to send nations you prostitute yourself with and they will be taken up as my instrument of judgment unto your destruction. Again, the Lord reveals uh, in this allegory an important truth about his judgment. Notice first up and foremost how righteous in judgment all that God does in response to sin. The Lord is a righteous judge who will always repay according to our deeds. Verse 43, the Lord says, Because you have not remembered, behold, I have turned your deeds upon your head. Verse 58, You shall bear the penalty of your lewdness. As Ezekiel will say two chapters later, The soul that sins must pay the penalty. The soul that sins must die because you prostitute yourself, your nakedness will be exposed and the nation you sought after will turn, af- turn against you and will come and expose you and you will be ashamed in your sin. And secondly, notice how uh, this wrath and judgment uh, comes about. The source of it, the Lord says, is his own jealousy and wrath. Verse 38 I will judge you as a woman who commits adultery, and I will bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. The Lord is a God who reveals himself to be a jealous God, who will visit the iniquities of those who hate him. And every righteous judgment springs out of his holy nature, filled with jealousy and wrath, which is his own zeal for his honor and glory and his settled antagonism and opposition to all that is evil. Again, verse uh, 42, we read, the Lord speaking, I will satisfy my wrath. Jealousy then will depart. And then I will calm and be no more angry. Oh, what a picture this is of the fact that the wrath of God must always be satisfied. Until the wrath of God is poured out upon sin, the Lord will be filled with his righteous anger. But when I satisfy my wrath, the Lord says, my jealousy will depart and I will be calm and I will be angry no more. And shifting gears, beginning in verse 44, uh, the Lord begins to show another dimension of judgment. He brings the proverb, like mother and like a daughter, and there the adulterous relationship is giving away to a relationship of sorority. God's people has two sisters, the Lord says. Just like the sisters with them, with whom uh, Israel shared the same pagan mother, the elder sister Samaria, known for their corruption in worship and compromise, and the younger sister, Sodom, who was known for moral wickedness, the sexual perversion and so forth. Those two sisters will also be used as instruments of judgment. And when those two sisters are punished, you, Israel, will be punished even more severely. The Lord says, His visible church in the Old Testament is even worse than the world. Even worse than Sodom. Even worse than Samaria. Your deeds make them appear more righteous than you. What a horrible thing to think of that the people called by God's name are actually behaving in such a way that make the rest of the world look more righteous. And God says, because you are behaving this way, I will make you bear the penalty of your lewdness. When I restore the fortunes of Sodom and Samaria, your fortunes will also be restored. And there Ezekiel is thinking, first and foremost, the physical restoration of the nations. And yet beyond that physical fulfillment, spiritually, the Lord will make sure that these nations are going to be linked up with you in my pouring out of the judgment Israel will be on the receiving end of even severer judgment. you remember how Jesus takes this up and says, unbelieving people, where my signs have been performed and yet met with unbelief, Sodom will have easier time on the day of judgment than those Corazon and Bethesda Who's seen my word, who's seen my works, and yet not believed. So that's the nature of the wrath of God. He uh, brings judgment according to these. He judges without partiality, both believing world and unbelieving world. And he judges out of his own jealousy and wrath until his wrath is satisfied, but that's not where the allegory ends. There's a remarkable twist in the allegory. And so, fourthly, and finally, consider most marvelously with me something of the nature of grace revealed in God's covenant, beginning in verse 59 down through 63. The Lord says, "Oh, Israel, I will deal with you as you have done, as you have." despise the oath in breaking the covenant as I will deal with you as covenant breakers. And so far, whatever has been indicated points to the direction of judgment. And yet in this unexpected, shocking twist, the Lord says, I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. I will deal with you as you deserve and yet verse 63 i will atone for you for all that you have done and i want you to just see the sheer shocking content of the gospel how grace in the covenant is both sovereign and scandalous the gospel truly is scandalous The gospel is a scandal, the stumbling block, the offense, because it is precisely shocking. God will not bring punishment upon hell-deserving sinners who have engaged in spiritual adultery and prostitution. He will devise a way to atone for their sins. And that's the covenant promise he announces when I will establish covenant, verse 61, you will remember your ways and you will be ashamed and you will take both sisters, Sodom and Samaria, and they will be given to you as daughters. And you will know that I am the Lord and you will not open your mouth because of your shame. I notice several things here about the grace in the covenant. First, notice how this grace... This scandalous and shocking and sovereign grace is going to have a universal reach. Samaria and Sodom, the two sisters, are no longer going to be sisters but actually going to be given to you as daughters. This is a Gentile inclusion into the people of God where immoral Sodom and spiritually corrupt Samaria will be given birth And will be added to God's people Israel and what a picture this is of what is happening under the gospel when from Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth what Jesus Christ has done is proclaimed and sinners from the Gentile world are being added to the church but then secondly notice the power of this grace promised in the covenant it has a power to affect a real change. Verse 61, you will actually remember your ways and be ashamed. Verse 62 and 63, you may remember and be confounded and will never open your mouth again when I atone for your sins. When the gospel is proclaimed, when the grace in the gospel comes to sinners, it actually affects change. It will make them humbled in their sin, with their mouth shut over the sense of their sin. It'll shut them before the sight of God and it'll make them repentant. And that is the very glory of this uh, grace in bringing them to know the Lord. Again, the promise in verse 62, when I establish my covenant with you, uh, you shall know that I am the Lord. And this is what God does in the gospel. The Lord who has set the gospel as the covenant of grace for all the nations when he a- a- accomplishes his atonement, when he atones for their sins, will bring about this change all the way to the ends of the earth so that they will all know that I am The Lord, from the least to the greatest, they will acknowledge that I am the Lord. And the question is, what is this everlasting covenant? What is the promise ultimately pointing to? And the answer is clearly given in the rest of the scriptures. It's found in the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, who has been given as a covenant to the Gentiles. Jesus, who will shed the blood of the covenant Jesus who will fulfill the everlasting promise, the eternal plan and purpose of God to save a people for himself. And it is the Lord Jesus who himself will come and atone for all the promiscuous and, and adulterous women spiritually and atone for their sins and will gather them to be his bride. This allegory is an account of a bride-turned prostitute or in the Everlasting covenant revealed in the gospel, we find uh, account of a prostitute turned bride in the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to save sinners. Well, just a few hours after Thomas Goodwin, just a few days before his 20th birthday, came under profound conviction of sin from listening to a sermon preached at a funeral concerning the need for repentance. Thomas Goodwin testifies that he, just a a few hours after that conviction of sin, where he did not see a way out, he received a speedy word. He says, quote, a speedy word from Ezekiel chapter 16, by which on the sudden, as it were in an instance, God created and put a new life and spirit into my soul. And the verse that God used from Ezekiel chapter 16 is verse 6, where the Lord says to the infant helpless Israel, in your blood, live. In your blood, live. And the Spirit of God brought that word to convince Thomas Goodwin that God's purpose towards sinners is not to destroy them, but to make them live. Well, in the gospel, brothers and sisters, The same word comes to you more clearly and gloriously. The gospel says, Not in your blood live, but in the blood of the covenant shed for you, live. In the blood shed for you of the Lord Jesus Christ, live. He has come to clothe not just your nakedness with his righteousness, but even more gloriously, he has come to cleanse you from all the filth and defilement of your sin and unrighteousness, and he has come to clothe you from your unrighteousness into his perfect splendor and righteousness. By the washing of water with a word, he has come to give you a new birth, and he gives you a new heart and a new nature, making you a new creature and to make you his own bride. That's what happens according to God's covenant when the gospel is proclaimed, when Jesus Christ and him crucified is proclaimed. The Lord, according to his everlasting covenant, will effect this glorious change in the hearts of sinners, turning them from prostitutes into a bride. And simply ask, who then is the bride of the Lord Jesus? The word of God says it is all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are called to be his own possession. You belong to Him. You have been washed clean. You have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb who shed for you the blood of the covenant. That's the only thing that will heal us from our sin and cleanse us from our spiritual adultery. And He, in all His fullness and all His grace, has come upon this earth to shower upon you goodness and kindness and mercy in lavish, immeasurable bounty. And so come to the Lord Jesus continually. Uh, He is the Savior of his church. And he comes to offer himself to you in the gospel. And then the question is, if the Lord truly made me a bride, what is it that he requires? Of me, If I have come to faith in the Lord Jesus, how shall I live as his bride, being prepared for the wedding supper of the Lamb? And the Bible gives us one answer. It is that you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you be filled with love incorruptible. You display to the Lord Jesus your first love, your virgin love, your wholehearted love. And those who love the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus says, keep my commandments, and those who love me, keep and serve my people. Well, that's the way the bride behaves in this world. So may this allegory again lead you to the gospel of our Lord Jesus. He has offered himself to you. He is the very blessing of God, and God's people cling to him. Never exchange him for lesser things. And cling to him until that day he comes to take his whole church to be his bride. Let's pray together.